One of the principal ways I dig up ideas for new episodes is with social media. The algorithm of my feeds, partially informed by my previous research, will often push something my way that helps with an initial question. And from there, I'm usually only 10 or 20 clicks from a topic, a tool, a creator, a bit of research that helps me realize that there's so much I'm still discovering about the phenomenon of living and learning in the digital age. That was the path that led me to Teenager Therapy and Gael Ader, creator of the world's biggest podcast by teens for teens on the topic of, well, living. I was going to say mental health, but the topic isn't really mental health, although it comes up in several episodes of the show. Picture a mic in the middle of the room where, if you were lucky, you got together with friends in a bedroom and attempted to make sense of your experience. Episode titles include Do You Need College? Insecurities and Not Being Good Enough. Another one is Freshman Year versus Sophomore Year. Or Dealing with Trauma, Healing, and Queer Issues. Hashtag Swiping Safely. Or Letting Go of a Toxic Friend. I can't tell you what a fan I am of this young creator. Hi, I'm Gael. I'm the founder and host of the Teenager Therapy Podcast, which is the largest teen mental health podcast in the world. We describe it as a coming-of-age story told in real time. It's a culmination of mistakes and growth, but most importantly, it's a reminder that you're not alone. Gael Ader is the creator and host of the Teenager Therapy Podcast, a teen mental health podcast with over 700,000 followers. At 19 years old, he has five years of experience in podcasting and is an expert at growing engaged Gen Z audiences on social media. Previous guests of Teenager Therapy include Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, Adam Mosseri, and Lauren Gray. Ader is a fellow at OnDeck, an educational and accelerator community, and was a contract community specialist at PearPop, a creator collaboration platform. Additionally, he's on the advisory council of UCLA's Center for Scholars and Storytellers. He's been featured in the New York Times, Teen Vogue, and the Time 100 Talks for his work at Teenager Therapy. He graduated from high school in 2021. The New York Times says, the show features five teens self-described on their website as sleep-deprived yet energetic, having loose, candid conversations about mental health, school, family, friendships, and sexuality, and more. Sometimes they interview big names. The influencer Lauren Gray and the singer Maggie Lindemann have both been on the show, but usually the format is more of a freeform discussion. Here's a clip from an episode called Being a First Generation Student. And that's a weird feeling. And then also like leaving your parents to go to these like privileged experiences. It almost feels kind of like snobby in a way, right? Like even though you worked for it and that's what they want, like they really worked for you to get to a good school and stuff. Like leaving them to actually go to that school still is sad because I don't know. It feels like it's hard. There's a lot of guilt that comes with like moving up and like forward because maybe it just doesn't feel like you deserve it at times. Um, and if you do, you wish that like, your family had the same opportunities as you to be able to like have everything that you have. So that's been like a weird experience about like people leaving and stuff. And maybe that's why I don't feel so sad because it just doesn't feel like it's something that I was supposed to do either way.
That's interesting. Um, I, I tried, like, to really picture myself in your shoes. And, like, um, I'm, like, just for me personally, I don't know if, like, I feel that pressure. I was really searching for that feeling, but this is, like, exactly what my parents wanted for me. Like, mm -hmm. they wanted me to get into a good school. And they wanted me to, like, chase my dreams or whatever. And, like, I don't know. I, I don't really do that. I, I, I don't think that I do not belong there. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like I kind of deserve to be there. Mm -hmm. Like, because, uh, I mean, Kayla and I worked hard to mm -hmm. get into USC. Um, and so, I don't know. Like, I, I don't really see it in, like, a pessimistic kind of way. I see it as in, like, mm -hmm. this is what my parents want. And I just need to make them proud. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's, like, a weird feeling. Because it's not necessarily, like... I don't see it as, like, not belonging there. As in, like, I'm not, like, capable or I'm not deserving. But it's just not, like, my people. Right? Like, this is, like... It's just weird. Because you're so used to... Like, the types of people that you grew up around. Um, so, the thought. I think just the thought of, like... Oh, okay. It's relief. That's that's what it is. One moment. You gotta get new tissues, bro. Ah. Uh, okay. It's relief. It's a lot of relief. Because I feel like... I feel like I see myself as very, um, underprivileged, which is like kind of just a fact. So to be able to have these opportunities is relieving, um, because I think the first step is like always obviously the hardest is like the biggest hurdle you have to get past because to get from zero to one is really really hard but to get from like one to ten is a little easier from ten to a hundred is a lot easier so um i think it's a lot of relief right i like you, you when i hung up after my conversation with gael i felt so positive and inspired i couldn't wait to share the conversation I couldn't wait to share the tool that he and his co-creators have put out there. What's phenomenal about what they're doing is not the fact of teens sitting around a bedroom and making sense of things. It's the moment we live in, when they could realize that they have the tools to make their space available to others, turns out millions. Whether because they're enterprising or activists, which Gael insists he isn't, they're sharing something that I think has become a learning object for a lot of different audiences. Gael, Thomas, Isaac, Kayla, Mark, the work you're doing and have done is so important. If you're a technologist, researcher, educator, creator, or parent, a learner hungry for more coverage like what you hear in this show, I hope you'll get in touch and share your ideas for new episodes and areas you'd like no such thing to cover in episodes ahead. Find me on socials at M-A Lesser, L-E-S-S-E-R. Come find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash no such thing pod. And as always, an incredible gift to this free and commercial free episode is to like, rate, and review the show wherever you download podcasts. I can't wait for you to meet Gael. Enjoy our conversation. This is No Such Thing, 
a podcast about learning in the digital age. I'm Mark Lesser. I've been listening to a lot of episodes recently, so I'm going to start with what feels like a very, a very Gael question. <laughs> Tell me about Anaheim. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Anaheim, California. It's one of those cities that, I mean, look, one time, it was. This, I feel like this says enough about it. One time I was on TikTok, I was scrolling through casually, and then I come across uh, a TikTok episode, and, or, you know, a TikTok video. The first couple of words are five reasons why I would never visit Anaheim, California ever again. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what? It can't be that bad. There's like a person that travels everywhere. And they're like, it's not safe. I never once felt safe here. I couldn't walk alone at night. I couldn't walk anywhere. It was terrible, dangerous. I feel like I was going to get discriminated against. Races don't come here. I was like, oh my god. I, I, you know, it's what's weird about it. Yeah, is that sometimes. I see people being like, don't go to San Francisco. It's so dirty and terrible. Don't go to LA. It's terrible. New York is so dirty and dangerous and there's crime. And I'm like, oh my God, these places must be so bad. But then I go visit those places and I'm like, wow, this is so much better than back home. Like, this is incredible. Yeah. So it makes me think that I've already kind of experienced the worst possibly. So I am everything above that is just good to me. So I don't know. I, I don't think I've traveled enough to really be able to give a good gauge on how Anaheim, California really is, but it doesn't seem so bad to me. Yeah. I, I wonder. Um, so I grew up in New Jersey and mm -hmm. I feel like I can never tell anybody that without them making a joke about New Jersey. Um, or they say, they go, Oh, I'm sorry. Which is like, oh, when, once you've heard it enough times, you just roll your eyes and I'm like, Oh my gosh, at least have something original. But, yeah. um, I wonder, is it like that for you? So I love where I grew up. It took me some time, though. Like, I think as a teenager, I hated where I grew up. But I always wonder, does everybody hate where they grow up, you know, when they're a teen? Uh, right. You know, for a moment in time, I think I didn't necessarily like where I grew up. I never got to the point where I hated it. And I was like, I can't wait to get out of this terrible town. You know, the cliche of the movies. But... I've come to appreciate where I've come from a lot more because I know that eventually I'll move out. And I mean, I've lived there all my life. I've, I've basically have every time that I moved apartments, it was like in the same radius within like a minute walk of each other. Mm -hmm. So I've been in the area all my life, the schools that I've been there, all the parks, all the times, like all the places I've been there with my friends and like, you know, all the little hangout spots. And so I think more recently I've started to just take more time to appreciate it and every single moment of living here because I guess this is kind of a, as, as a way of manifesting the future that someday I will move up and into a nicer neighborhood, maybe a house and a really big house in a nice neighborhood. And I, I feel like I'll learn to appreciate and love all the time that I, I spent in my, my little town in Anaheim. So it's one of those things that I feel like I'll have fond memories of when I leave. So I'm trying to appreciate it more now. Yeah. If Anaheim had a superpower, what would it be? Like, in, especially, particularly as it relates to, like, as a as a kid growing up in Anaheim, if it had one thing that was really redeeming about it, what would it be? Ooh. <laughs> um, 
That's a tough one. I'm really trying to think like where does it really shine? What what shines about this place? I think at best that it's close to the beach. It's it's kind of close to to everything. Um, but but it's not overwhelming. It's close to LA, so you could go to LA in 35 minutes when there's no traffic and come back. Yeah. Um, the streets are wide. I think the fact that the streets are wide and there's little traffic for the most part is something you appreciate. So I like that it's at the the center of everything. It's near Disneyland. It's near you know the Anaheim Packing House, which was always like a little hangout spot for all the kids. And you know once we're older, you kind of go expand to LA, but not have to deal with chaoticness of it. So right. it's a nice little let's see. That's cool. I've never been. I mean, I've been to that area um, quite a bit, but I feel like every town I've been to, like Central California generally has something a little different about it. Like, you know, I've been to Fresno, I've been to um, some of uh, some of the other towns in the Central Valley, but um, Anaheim never. Tell me just like a touch about the origin story for the show, because I don't, one of the things I try not to do is to um, bore people on this show with stuff they can go find themselves on the internet. So like some of the origin stories out there, and I'm going to encourage everybody just to go and Google teenager therapy and get into some of the backstory because it's I've been as I told you earlier, um, I'm like a, a fanboy and now have gone deep in the rabbit hole to um, figure out how this whole thing came about. But give me your version no. of the origin story now that you are uh, you are. I know it's not that long a period of time, but it must feel like ages ago that you started it. Mm -hmm. And um, tell me from this vantage point, like what was the origin story? How did it start? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So origin stories are always one of those things that go so much deeper than you can really, than most people say, you know, I think uh, when people say their origin story, they're like, Oh, well I just had this idea and then I kind of just did some work and then it started and that's it. But really, this kind of started all when I was 13. Um, I like to imagine it as like the domino effect that my love for this one band that I was obsessed with and when I was 13 was kind of the catalyst for teenage therapy in a way. Uh, I'll condense it. And basically, I was 13, wanted to make money, wanted to help my parents. So I said, let me grow Instagram accounts. Let me get an audience because like influence is, is money, basically. Mm-hmm. So created a fan account for uh, one of my favorite bands, 21 Pilots at the time, grew that account to 35K and then said, okay, I have the audience. Now I need to find a way to monetize it. So I created a new account that was a clothing shop. And then I used the 35K thousand followers that I had a, that I had on my fan account to push them towards the clothing shop, a little internet clothing shop. And so pushed them to get my first customers. And then I was able to snowball that initial traction into 100,000 followers. And 100k in revenue, which you know, when I was 14, was quite a good bit. And so I was able. To I would imagine, all- yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I was able to use all that money to kind of you know fund the podcast, but I didn't know about it yet. So now, when I was 15, I was listening to Casey Neistat's story um, or Casey and Candace Neistat's podcast, Couples Therapy. Yeah. And I was really inspired by the issues they talked about and how they did it so candidly. And so I said, okay, that's amazing. I would love to do that for teenagers. I feel like that's something that I would want to listen to. And I decided, let me start my own podcast because there wasn't anything out there that existed. That was the same. 
in the same you know field that I was going. And I thought that was odd because it just seemed like such a good idea. That's like, why is no one like exploring in this space? So I started it. I asked for my friends, do you guys want to start a podcast with me? And thankfully they all said yes. And, you know, we recorded the first episode in my co-host's bedroom, which we still record in to this day. We got a camera. We just like had a little DSLR that had a microphone on it. And so we put it in the middle. We sat around it like if we were in a cult or something and started speaking to it. Yeah. <laughs> we just started speaking and crying our problems into it. And, you know, those first couple episodes, I think we tried to make the first episode like two or three times before we eventually got it right. And we didn't know how to start. We we're like, okay, let's start a podcast. And I was like, we'll just talk about our issues. Like, what's 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 the drama that's going on? And, you know, at the time, some of the big important things in our life were like, what clubs were we in? And what, you know, are we in doing community service and stuff? So it's those things that seem big back then, but really like aren't much of who you are. And so I think over time we came to, we kind of set on a stroll of like actually revealing ourselves to the audience and really talking about our personality our issues deeper and deeper and like the more we did it the more comfortable we got and we kept doing that it did well it did really well and then 2020 was our biggest year yet the new york times wrote about us we were on a bunch you know we did that whole press run and then prince harry and Meghan markle wanted to come on the show which was i mean obviously our highlight and then so we did that and now we're here now it's 2022 we've been like kind of just doing the podcast for a good bit we're all like we're all 19 now we've been doing it for more than three and a half years nearing our fourth year anniversary and so that's where we're at i feel like um and then and then you know this show happened right so <laughs> exactly, exactly you know i can, the only thing i can think of that's bigger than megan and harry is this show <laughs> Um, I, I really, I can't, I have so many questions, but I want to go back to that thing you said about, um, we sat around the microphone, like it was a cult. Yeah. Um, I, you know, one of the things that I think is just so important about what you're doing is that you are being open about your teenage cult. Um, because I feel like, um, I feel like that cult that like, I don't know why I'm using that word other than that you used it, but I feel like that thing that you felt with that group of friends and the safety and ability to just sort of be open and sit around a thing and like, and create something that was vulnerable and open. Um, that to me feels like the, the, when you have a healthy teenage life, that's what it looks like. You need some place to have a cult. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the thing I wondered over and over as I was listening to episodes is how did you guys deal at that age with the, the openness of that? Like it's one thing to have the cult that I had where we would like, we had a four track recorder, which was kind of an old school whatever we had the version of garage band back in the day that was more mechanical and we would sit around and we'd like record lyrics and um, have conversations and it was, and very much the same, but the idea of putting that out to a million downloads or whatever it was going to turn into would have terrified me. So I wonder what were the conversations you had with your co-creators about having the courage to make what was happening in that room open. 
Mm -hmm. It's definitely so interesting. I mean, when you think about, I think coal is actually a, a perfect word, the coal of a friend group, um, the coal of friendship, right? It's like that, that it's this extreme vulnerability um, and sharing and being open and, and having trust mm. and in your friends. And I do think every person needs their coal where they could truly be open with themselves. And for us, you know, we had a network that we were all connected in some way. I mean, you know, me and one of my co-hosts, I dated them and then we had broken up and then I was friends since like elementary with the other, also with the other. And then one of them I had, you know, I had never met her or I had never talked to her much. I've only really known about her. And so we kind of just brought everyone together. And then, you know, at first we were all a little shy with one another, but obviously our friendship grew. And I think it was definitely a struggle trying to get everyone to really open up and share. I think everybody was, what was interesting though, is nobody was, was opposed to it. Everybody was excited for it. Mm. Uh, the idea of talking about your feelings was exciting. Uh, the idea of sharing it was exciting. Actually doing it though was scary. Mm. So I think that's one of the reasons why they all said yes to it and agreed to record but why it took a bit until we actually started getting the conversations and like actual feelings out. Um, because it's, uh, it's not easy. What really helped, I think is the messages when you get that outcry of support and, and people telling us how much they relate, that helps an immense amount in making us more willing to be open and more transparent because we share our story and we share our feelings and we think nobody relates or we we're under the impression that people don't go through this or we're, we're the only ones. And then you, you have, you know, a hundred DMs telling you how much that episode helped, how much you're, you're going through the same thing. And that's exactly what they needed to hear. And that can get addicting on your end because you're like, Oh my God, like people like it. Like, am I, is this good? You know, you want to, you want to open up more and get more feedback because I think, I think all of us secretly love when people have opinions of our lives. At least I do. I find it so fascinating when, you know, I could share a situation I went through and people could give their input because it kind of helps me learn like, oh, yeah, like, did I do the right thing? Could I have done something better? Mm. What did you think about that? And so I think that's one of the reasons we kept sharing as well is because not only were they helping us by reassuring us that there's others going through the same things, but they also helped us because they gave their input. Like, you know, I didn't agree with this. I agreed with this. This was really well done. This, you know, this needed some some more work or you forgot this other point of view. So it's one of those things that is just really, really rewarding when you actually have the courage to go out and do it. Yeah. Do you remember in the in anywhere along the way, I guess, um, do you remember reading comments and messages that you were getting from followers that became your favorite story of why it's worth getting on the mic and doing this? There's so many. I mean, there's so many that it's, it's, it's hard. I think it, it, they switch so often because I won't lie. Like sometimes I'll be going through something and then someone comments just the right thing that I needed to hear at the time. And it like really, it really, you know, hits deeper than other times. Hmm. And, you know, for a moment, that's like my favorite comment because it's exactly what I needed to hear. Mm. So that happens really often. Well, you know, it, I'll be going through something. I'll be reading the comments. We do an episode talking about it. And then someone, you know, just just comments what I needed to hear. So 
there's a lot of that. And I mean, in the beginning, it was it was this weird sensation because I had always been behind the scenes. So once once you acquire some sort of public display and you're actually showing you and yourself and you are the figure that you're presenting, you are the entertainment and there's, fo- you know, solely focusing on you and your words. That was def- def- definitely an interesting feeling. It was exciting. It was really exciting and just intriguing to see what other people thought of me. It was, a, like I said, a little bit addicting hmm. hearing everything of you. Do you as creators talk about, I'm, I'm actually, I don't know. Uh, you know, when somebody makes a point and then you have a thought and you're shocked that it didn't even dawn on you, but you just said something that, that made me realize, um, like, did you guys ever talk about the meta-ness of teenager therapy as a title? Like, did you ever feel like you were the ones getting therapy as opposed to therapy being given to those who were listening? You know, I think so. I, I, we did, we did actually, um, I remember one of my co-hosts saying one of the reasons that I enjoyed this so much in the beginning is because it felt like therapy for me. Mm. It was a safe place where I could come and talk about all my feelings. And also for me, what I, and whenever I tell people, you know, they find it so funny because it's so ironic that I have a show called Teenager Therapy, and it's all about being vulnerable and sharing your your emotions and being open and having these tough conversations. But in real life, I'm very, very bad at being vulnerable. I, I, I bore myself talking about my feelings to others. I feel like they don't care. I don't want to do it. Like I really have to get people to force me to open up. But I have no problem doing it during the podcast. And I think that's why it's also a form of therapy for me, because Perhaps I find, you know, not to like super analyze myself, but perhaps there's a feeling of it's not worth talking about your feelings unless there's like some other, you know, benefit of it, like someone getting help from it. And so I feel like since I gave talking about my feelings a deeper meaning, as in it might help others, it allowed me to do it more freely. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, it was a little bit of therapy for us as well. Yeah. It's really powerful to think about the sort of the the two way street of therapy generally, I think is pretty interesting. And in a connected world, you know, in a in the digital age, thinking about the getting and receiving of creating. You know what I mean? Um yeah. anyway, yeah. I, know, I know you know what I mean. Um so Teenager therapy approaches so many topics from, uh, as you mentioned, you've had these like brushes with um, celebrity and had interesting conversations um, that really range in content and scope. And I wondered, people use the term therapy in so many different ways. There's like all kinds of Mm -hmm. therapy. And I wondered if you set out, I know at, as it is, your teenager therapy is the largest uh, mental health podcast for teens by teens um, of its kind. But did you set out to make a difference as it relates to mental health or was it more a motivation of like, let's build an audience and build a show? It was, 
I get asked this a lot, you know, you, you must have done this so well. Like, did you always love mental health? Did you want to be an activist? Mm. And I always reply that for one, I'm not an activist at, at all. In any way, I don't do any of the hard work that activists do. So I definitely don't consider myself that. Mental health was not necessarily our primary value. At least I didn't think it was. When I was making this show, I had a couple motivations. One, I thought it was something that would be helpful. I wasn't necessarily sure in what way, but I knew I would want to listen to it. And I thought it was important if you could hear the issues. And I think I oversimplified it. I, I don't think I realized how deep and how meaningful it would, it would have been. And my mind was, I was just thinking, it's going to help a lot of people. It's They're going to they're gonna feel really great about it. And it, they're going to find comfort in hearing other people go through the same issues as them. And so I approached it with that mindset. And also just there's this cool idea, like I want to do it and see if it succeeds. Like That was also exciting, you know, growing a new project. And so I didn't necessarily approach it with a mental health you know, point now gets placed on us i know now we're kind of seen as the the experts on like teen mental health issues and you know like the mental health spokesperson which you know we're not necessarily our podcast is really more than just about mental health it's about the entire teenage experience it's a documentary basically of what a teenage life looks like from 15 to 20 years old mm -hmm. uh, and mental health just happens to be a big part of it which also is in tune with the current state of the nation and the mental health crisis that is plaguing young people. So I think in that sense, the thesis and what, what, you know, government officials have been warning us about that we're in a mental health crisis and young people are, you need help. Suicide rates are rising. Depression rates are rising. Mm -hmm. Mental illness rising in general. Um, you could see those statistics in our lives as well, because it affects us too. And you've seen that a lot of the issues we have, tend to be with mental health and mental illness. So uh, it was one of those things that we kind of got placed into, but then realized, you know, we fit really well and it, it makes sense. So let's keep pushing for it. Hmm. It's such an important, an important space, but I would um, definitely echo the sentiment you had about it's really a thorough take on the landscape of what it means to be a teen. And um, I would incur one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on and talk about the show is because they, you know, there's an entire field of youth development and people who um, work in education, work in um, nonprofits and programs that are happening after schools and, and uh, you know, who don't have as good the training that you could get in three days of listening back to back to episodes of teenager therapy i think is that should be required reading listening for anybody who's thinking about working with young people um and certainly you know i, I would emphasize the fact that um human development is is always very local right so we talked about anaheim and we talked about the fact that you are a, a group of teens in a specific place, right? So it's not, I'm sure you get questions all the time trying to get people, people are getting, trying to get you to represent every teen everywhere, which is not fair, right? But, um, but still, I think there is no better way to, to 
peek into what young people face day to day than to sit in and uh, and be privy to some of these therapy sessions, I'll call them, um, which I think when you added the camera and YouTube was really interesting. And I wondered, for you all, was that mostly just an um, sort of a, a strategic shift to build audience? Or did you feel like the camera would add something that you couldn't do in terms of audio? Yeah. It was a mix of both. For one, I always knew that video was important to any podcast in order to grow because you need to be on every platform repurposing content. You need to be on TikTok, you need to be on YouTube Shorts, on YouTube Reels, on YouTube in general, um, posting about it. Um, more than that, though, people want to recognize your face. We want to connect with people through their faces. Audio is already so intimate. It's already incredibly intimate. You're hearing your voice, you know, inside your ears very closely. But mm -hmm. Video is just a deeper level of that intimacy because now you actually can imagine the person. You imagine what they look like and you might connect with them even more. And something I find interesting is the analytics actually show that whenever there's an emotional moment, whether one of us is crying or we're arguing or it's, like, or it's a tense moment, more people stop to watch the video mm. than, than you see. There's like a spike in the, in the, in the, in the engagement. And so... It's interesting that whenever there is the, those emotional moments, the way we connect as humans seems to be by like looking at them and being able to see their eyes and their facial expressions. And that's that's important because if you're only listening to the audio, all you would hear is silence. But if you're looking at the video, you see the facial expressions we're making, the, the way we're squinting our eyes, if we're looking down, if we're looking up, you know, what we're doing with our hands. And so I think that's something that our audience enjoys seeing. And it also just helps knowing like who the voice is. It's one of those wonders that once you have a face, it, it really it helps a lot. Yeah. In, um, in my day job uh, as a as an educator and somebody who's worked a whole um, all of my career in education of some kinds, working with. Um, adolescents, mostly teens, middle schoolers, um, some college age young people. Uh, we talk a lot about literacies, right? And um, it means one thing in the context of reading and writing and obviously a different thing in the context of things like computer science or um, a lot of people talk about literacies in the context of the internet and what you need to know to sort of be literate in that world. Um and one of the things I wanted to ask you, because I think you have a very specific perspective, is about now that that you're 19, you're almost not a teen. Um, and I wanted to ask you what you think is missing in terms of literacies that you think the world could be supporting, whether it's peer-to-peer -peer or teachers in school or other opportunities, like what are the literacies that you feel like generally kids are missing and maybe it shows up in some of the comments you're seeing in um, the responses to an episode, or maybe it's just part of your own experience, but like, what are the things that we need to fill the gaps on quickly? Because it really ends up making young people suffer. The lack of spaces dedicated for young people 
outside of school. The metaphor that I like to use is if you're an adult, you have so many places to hang out. You obviously wouldn't. It seems silly to ask them to tell them, you know, you don't need the bars or the clubs or any other of those spaces. Just go to your workplace and hang out there mm. after work. You know, that makes no sense. And so I think as we we tell a lot of kids and we kind of ignore making spaces dedicated for young people and teenagers because we assume they have school. If they want to hang out with people, they hang out with people every day during school. So just hang out during school. And it's like, no, that doesn't make sense. And I think what we need that will, one, really help with, with the mental health crisis um, and two, just help teens find a, a bigger sense of community and belonging are dedicated spaces for young people um, where they can just go and do nothing. I mean, it's one of those, you know, one of those places, because if you think about it now, if you're young and you have a group of friends, where can you really go hang out that's safe and secluded and maybe not secluded, but, you know, closed off from, if you go to a park, obviously it could get cold, it could get warm. You're not really, you don't really feel comfortable. There's so many random people everywhere. Um, libraries, you have to be quiet. So it's like, what are the spaces where someone who's young and really just wants to go feel safe around other young people, wants to feel comfortable and just relax, whether they're speaking to people or not? There's none. There's really very, very few spaces like that. And I think this is one of those things that's so important because, have, you know, loneliness is actually one of the biggest crises that we're facing today as a nation. And a lot of mental health issues have loneliness at the core of it. And it's one of the core feelings of it. And so we need to do a better effort to solve that. And by that, I think it's creating young spaces where you really can just go and hang out. Um, and it doesn't cost a fortune. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I feel like a lot of our cities are just not designed in a way to get people to engage with one another. And it, and it's tough because if it's during the summer or if you're a dropout or if you are in college or high school and you just want to get outside of your little bubble and meet new people, it's hard to do that safely. And I think that's something that could really benefit everyone. Yeah. It's, it's weird, right? That in this country, well, I guess it's not weird. It's consistent with lots of things that even socializing now has become stratified by economics, right? So if you're a kid of means, you could end up at the mall, you know, where it's like you need to be buying something in order for security guards to be comfortable with you there, right? But that's like where you socialize or, you know, it's not the only place you socialize, but these are the acceptable third spaces for us to end up in as teens, um, but now if you don't have means like loneliness is like a required symptom of, um, of having less and, you know, financially, obviously. Um, and I don't have a question that comes from that, but just a long pause of <laughs> sadness, I guess. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, get that. I, get that. I love, I love the point that you made there though. Um, I want to, I want to talk about celebrity. So you mentioned Megan and Harry, Drea, there's all these people who have now are like visiting the show. Um, and I wanted to ask you whether you feel like the celebrity interaction with the show is productive for the end goal of, um, specifically as it relates to the mental health piece, or do you feel like it detracts at all or, or sort of muddies the mission of having yeah. it be kind of like authentic and real? Yeah. You know, that's one of those things that 
I'm not the biggest fan of per se because I mean a podcast can't be everything and I think a lot of people try to fit us into that playbook of well if you want to grow you need to have guests guests are so important for growth you need to do cross episodes with people you need to have people on your show and you need to be on their show and you need to do all these things in order to grow and so for a little bit we did that we had a bunch of guests in 2020 we had a bunch of influencers come in and we filmed episodes with them and what we found is one, they just weren't really even performing that well. Like our audience wasn't really engaging with them. Hmm. And it depends. it's also like, you know, why would they? I mean, some of them re- did really great. But I think guest episodes are great for shows that you could casually listen to. Hmm. Pick up one episode or pick up another episode in any order and you'll be fine. But for us, the best listening experience is when if you started from the first episode and you worked your way up, even better if you followed along the past three years because like i said it's a documentary and so in in like the recent episodes you might find a reference of us talking about something that happened last episode or you know a year ago two years ago and a lot of the opinions and the and the mindsets we have have been shaped by previous episodes so it's odd when we have celebrities and and influencers as guests because sometimes it kind of makes you think well you know what what is the purpose what conversation do you want to have and it's something that we're still trying to figure out. I think there could be a place for guests where it actually is meaningful. It just kind of really depends on the work that we do to make it meaningful and how we structure it. But as of now, it has felt a little muddied, and which is one of the reasons why we haven't really done many guest episodes recently, because I haven't really had the motivation to do it. It's been like, I'm not sure. I don't know if I want to do that. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah, that's super interesting. Do you think much about what it was like to be a team before the internet? Um, and what I'm what I'm most curious about is like there's a pretty a pretty raging debate about among researchers and and folks who who uh, drive a lot of decisions in the world of the internet, whether it's commercial or uh, the more open interests of the internet about whether the internet is additive to people's health generally or not. Like is, is the connected world having a positive effect or not? And I wonder if you think about like, Hey, what was it like for, you know, older people in my community before the internet was a thing. And like, was that better? Like, do you guys have that conversation at all? Have you, do you draw any conclusions? I know it's hard when you've only known sort of life with the internet, but. Right. Um, Well, I think about life before or being a teen before the internet, because my mom mentions it often. Um, She's always telling me about her experiences and the classic post mail letters that you'd have to send back and forth if you wanted to talk to anyone yeah. um, waiting weeks for a letter waiting another week for a response and so that's kind of as far as i know i think i feel like i mean i'm curious as to why it is that mental illness rates are rising um i'm very curious as to why that is is it because we're more open about it and we're more willing to talk about it. And so it seems like they're rising or have they, you know, maybe they've always been that high and it's just now they've come to light. Um, but honestly, I think the internet was a good thing. I, I feel like it was good. I think 
you, especially for people that don't belong. I think life as a teenager before the internet was great for people that were normal. Um, you know, normal in the sense of what was perceived as normal by society at the time. Mm. Straight, um, good looking, well presenting, usually from like, you know, a, a good background. Um, but not, you know, not for the like all the the misfits and all the weirdos and all the different people that like look a little odd or act a little different. I think those people found a lot of community and a lot more acceptance because of the internet. Mm. And so I think, you know, some people, uh, a lot of us actually benefited from the internet and it, and that's why I think it was a good thing because it, it made the world more open and the, it made the world more accepting. And I think if you showed, t- you know, a group of teenagers, what life now would be, uh, a lot of the people that secretly felt they couldn't be themselves would probably be so optimistic about what, what life would one day be. So mm-hmm. I do think it was. You, you, um, you related yourself to the, the latter group um, of you use the word normal. So like outside of, of normal, I guess is how you felt as a, as a teen, maybe you still feel that way. Um, uh, tell me, are you, do you feel comfortable to talk about where you are at this point in your life and, and what are the, I, I, I would be crazy not to talk to you a little bit about, the huge dialogue right now that is um, related to those air quotes that you just threw up of normal, like what are the normal choices about at 19, everybody wants to know, like, are you going to college? Are you, uh, how are you thinking about your next steps? Um, how are you viewing yourself now? Does it feel like you're normal in the context of what you're up to? Does it feel like you're outside the norm? Do you feel better prepared to be not normal at this stage in your life? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I feel like I'm way, way out of the field that most people would consider normal. Um, and I think that's, you know, something I talk about on the podcast a lot is just feeling very out of place. And feeling like I don't belong. And part of that is because, I mean, I'm in a different stage in my life. I dropped out of college. I've been working, you know, developing my professional skills since I was 13, whether it be social media, audiences, engagement, a lot of marketing, you know, creating a project from scratch and growing it and managing it. That has taught me a lot. And I also feel a bigger sense of responsibility than a lot of people my age feel. And that really kind of sets me apart from them a little. It makes me not be able to relate to people my age as much. And I, you know, I think when you graduate high school, you know, you feel a little weird, but you're still fine because, you know, you're going to go to college and you have four years of school left. But it's not until you graduate university and, and college that you start to feel like, oh, wow, I'm really in control of my life now. Everything I do now is totally up to me. The The course of my life is dictated by every single action that I take. And no one else is going to push me or tell me to do something. And that's really freeing, but it's so scary. And it's one of those things that I went through a couple months ago. But I've gotten past the fear and the initial shock that, you know, you kind of go as a 
as a postgraduate and you think like, well, now I got to find a job now I got to go apartment hunting and it's really scary. So I do feel weird in that sense. I feel like professionally I've, I'm a little ahead of the curve, uh, which makes it a little tough because also a lot of the spaces that I end up in, I am all usually the youngest one there, mm. which is something that, you know, I don't necessarily like, but I kind of have to deal with. I wish I could go, socialize with people my own age and be in rooms and, and have teachers again. I think that's something that I do miss is the school and, and learning and having a mentor and a teacher. And so I don't have that. And it's really just up to me and my own and my own self-discipline. So it's odd. It's weird. But I've gotten used to it now and I think I'm growing well into it. So yeah, that's how I feel. So you, you had a, um, you got into Berkeley you decided, uh, let me let me shift gears. You tried, um, you tried some like two year school to see how that would go as a way, maybe toward college. And then you decided, you decided presumably the education you're getting in the projects that you're working on is is maybe just where you need to be right now. Is, um. Is that how that went, or do you feel like? Yeah. Do you yeah, feel? Let me ask it this way. Do you feel that you're totally unique in that college isn't where the value is for you right now, or do you feel like you're surrounded by lots of teens who feel that way? And I ask that question because if you pick up any education research, whatever magazine website in the last two years, um, everybody is talking about the decline in college enrollment. And I wonder, I just wonder how that actually hits somebody like you who is in the middle of making the decision. Yeah. So first of all, I don't think it's unique to me. I think a lot of people around me, a lot of teenagers have also gone through the same mindset of is college really worth it. And I think that's honestly a fair assessment. There's so many reasons for that. I mean, for me personally, what guided my choices, if I went to Berkeley, I would basically not be able to focus on the podcast. And so I would lose momentum. And so I said, okay, let me go to community for a bit. And then community was taking way too much of my time that I didn't have time to do anything else. And so I said, you know what? Let me follow the momentum. Momentum is one of those things that's hard to really keep going. So let me follow it. Let me keep going until it dies out. Perhaps I'll regret it, perhaps I won't, but really the way I love living my life is, you know, high risk, high reward. I'm going to create my own project. It's either going to make me a millionaire or I'm just going to flunk and be a failure. But either way, I know I can try again. And so that's what guided my decision then to keep pursuing this because ultimately I love the freedom of being able to do whatever I want, work on whatever projects I enjoy. And I think it's guiding a lot of other teenagers as well. I mean, there's so many reasons for why there's declining college rates. I think one, the cost of them has gotten incredibly high and the value hasn't really followed. Two, there are so many more ways to make money. I like to think about it. I, I like to think of life as kind of like this video game that keeps getting new updates. And the internet was a really big and major upgrade that has unlocked so many more economic opportunities for people that don't require college. It, it has created entirely new economies. You think about the creator economy that's you know worth billions and billions of dollars. You don't need a college degree for that. You don't need a college degree to 
sell your own stuff online and create your own art and there's so many more ways to like share it with people so it has never been easier to access a mass amounts of people and so all those entrepreneurs that otherwise would have gone to college i think are starting to rethink their decision and and many of many many teenagers are starting to think you know what do i want to do and do i need college to get there and i think a lot of people are realizing not necessarily a lot of it is just kind of you know trying it on your own using the internet and seeing how it does and also i meet a lot of people that are in big tech companies and i ask them you know what did you major in and does it relate to what you're doing now and so many of them like no not at all this is like completely different than my major but it's like good validation mm -hmm. so a lot of people are really also just going for validation it's like what you're supposed to do do you have a favorite episode of your show that um I should also mention that we haven't talked at all about your co-creators, but let's say their names real quick, just so that people yeah. people know you do this show with a with a group of friends. Yeah, yeah, we have Thomas, Isaac, Kayla, and Mark. Yeah, and you mentioned before about um, people following the show over time, and one of the things that I discovered after kind of binge binging like a series of episodes is. I really became invested in the characters in a different way. And I don't, I'm, you probably hear that from other people, but um, like, I know, uh, you know, so my name is Mark, obviously I was immediately engaged with like, Oh, you have a friend named Mark. Like, well, what's this guy about? And, and like learning how some of the perspectives evolved over time and these experiences. And it's not, I mean, people will, I think, people will be tempted to draw the analogy of like reality television and how those characters become appealing, but there's something way more authentic. And uh, because this is not about uh, like you guys, at least I don't think that you have uh, an arc the way they create those reality shows. This has the authenticity of character, but in a very vulnerable and, and um, true way where you all are just sort of having experiences and talking about them. So I found myself very engaged in the characters. Um, yeah. You mentioned your mom before. Um, how does she feel about where you are at this stage? She's super supportive. She is so, so proud. And she's always telling me how proud she is and how supportive she is. She really has always supported everything that I do. Um, every idea that i have she has always let me explore it you know even when i was 13 telling her i was going to make like a little clothing shop and i had to borrow 13 dollars so i could buy a domain she was like, really? <laughs> I did not understand what i was doing but she was like okay like go ahead and i appreciated that because you know even something as small as like 13 20 here 13 dollars here like starts to add up and it's like you know she must have had a a lot of trust in me and just that's kind of like a big support that like you know, maybe she could have used that to buy some me or something, but she decided to give it to me and see what I would do with it. And so it's it's something that I'm eternally grateful for. And I think it's a big driving force in 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 me to keep going and in order to succeed and, and be able to repay her back for all that support one day. Yeah. I mean, what was her reaction when you said, Oh, we grossed a hundred thousand dollars on this oh website God. when you were thirteen or fourteen years old? Yeah, she was, I don't even remember, honestly. Like, I think she was just so impressed. Like, I I feel like it's one of those things that's probably, like, so shocking that it doesn't really hit you. You're like, oh, wow. You know, you kind of think about it. You're like, oh, wow. Like, that's, 
it's pretty good. <laughs> was she like, was she like, is this real? She must have thought you were lying. <laughs> right? No, I like, I'm so mad. I never even thought about that. But I don't remember. I don't remember what she said. I, I know she was probably super excited and proud of me. And just like, oh, my God. Like, are you, like probably also worried. Like, are you paying taxes? Have you, like, paid everything? Is everything good? Would you pay right. everything? I was doing it all, like, under her name as well. So, I mean, yeah. I'm, I, like, I'm sure she, I'm pretty sure she probably just reacted, like, super, like, whoa. Like, whoa. Like, half didn't know what was happening and half, like, just trying to be supportive. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so so on that, the, in terms of your family and community, one of the things I wanted to ask you is whether you feel like there's a way, a way of kind of being and interacting with the world that you've modeled for the people around you, especially younger people, um, that has had a bigger impact than you imagined. So, I mean that both in terms of like, sure, everybody's. Uh, I shouldn't say everybody, people get excited about financial success, but there's also a way of being in the world that is open and proactive and creative that, that is who you are and what you're putting into the world. And I just, I, it makes me so curious about how the people in your sort of circle have reacted to that and, um, and how in turn that's affected you. So how like the podcast dynamic and the things we talk about have shifted just the people around me and maybe like teens world, worldwide? Uh, no, more so like locally. Like you think, I don't know who's at home for you, but like, do you have siblings? Yeah, I live with my mom and my younger sister. So like for your younger sister, as an example, it's like, I can only imagine what it would mean to my kids who are younger to see their older sibling be mm. in the world, the way that you are being in the world. Do you get what I'm saying? And yeah. do you reflect at all on like what it now means to these other people? I mean, I definitely think about what it means for my younger sister more than anyone. Um, because I mean, ever since, she's seen me go through like starting the project and going to our first little event, a little dinner, and then going to a, a little bigger event and a bigger event. And then, you know, more recently, like, Oh, you guys got invited to like this, this podcast conference in LA, you guys are going to get a hotel or like, Oh, you got it. We got invited to New York or Aspen to go to these places and events. And so I wonder what it must be like from her point of view, because I, I like to bring her along to, to as many of these as I can. And so, I, I feel like I've given given her a taste of what it's like, like in the inside world. Um, you know, I, I took her to, I guess, what could be like her first concert where like this, this iHeartRadio party and like Paris Hilton was doing the DJing. And she was like, oh my God, this person I've like seen in real life. And I, I thought that was so interesting. Cause I don't know. I, I, I imagine how seeing me do all these things must affect her. And I, I hope it's in a good way. I, I think for one, the, the relationship that my mom and I is very close and we talk about everything and, and we make it a point to kind of just really trust each other and be independent. So more than anything, like res responsibility and discipline, you know, to do your chores without having others ask you and to, you know, do your homework, do all your stuff. And so my mom instilled all those values in me. And now I have a, a really great deal of discipline and i think it's why i've been so successful because i'm able to push myself even if no one else is watching and i think 
my sister has definitely seen that. And I think at least I would hope that I've kind of influenced her a little bit and to kind of follow the same footsteps of having discipline and doing stuff and dreaming big. So we think about it and obviously talking about our feelings and then being open about it. I hope she's also taking a little bit of that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's any question that it's going to be a positive thing for her. I really don't. Um, I, I want to end. I don't, I could spend a really long time talking to you. I find your story so important and I find your perspective really important. And, and I just, I am such a fan of um, what you're doing. And I can only imagine as a creator and somebody who has always, since they were a teenager, um, creating things for me personally was always so important to my own identity and like, and, and coming up and, but that's a really self-conscious thing too. And, um, I can, as a fellow creator, I know, I know, I guess a little bit about both of those things, like the high of feeling like you're putting something out there that people are responding to, but I also know how lonely and isolating it can be sometimes. And, um, and I don't know, I guess I wanted to say to you how important I think the work you're doing is. And um, I want to end in a place where get to just to get people excited, like what's one episode that I know you're an advocate of like having people start at episode zero yeah. or episode one and moving on. But if you had one episode where you were you wanted to tell people, look, if if you don't get a flavor for the show and what's important about it in this one episode, what would that one be? Interesting. Yeah. And even though I do tell people to start from the beginning, I hope they don't because the audio is so bad. <laughs> and unless you're like 15 or like four, like unless you're 15 and younger, do not start with the first episodes. Cause they're, you know, they're, they're deep when you're 15, but then they're like, okay. Um, <sighs> Let me think. I mean, there's so there's been so many, so many impactful episodes, each in their own, you know, respective topic. Yeah. I think one that I've seen really circulate the internet and resonate with a lot of people really deeply because of how authentic it was is let me search up what the title was exactly. But it was an episode we did that was all about being a first gen student. And, you know, in one of the clips that went viral on socials, we, it was me talking about the sense of guilt that we can sometimes feel when, you know, we get to have experiences um, and our parents don't. And so we did an episode that was really just all about that. And I feel like it's a good sense of, of a, I guess, just the, I don't know. It's it's a good sense of one our experiences as host. It it gets you into our minds, into our lives, and the issues that affect us the most. But it's also paired with the vulnerability, the mm. true, raw, authentic vulnerability. So the episode is called "Being a First Gen Student," and I, I think that's one that that would hit really, really well. And it's a good representation of what the show's about. For the people who listen to the show and are curious about the medium itself, if you had to give one piece of advice that was like, uh, let's let's actually say specifically like 
if I'm a teacher and I start a podcast and I'm interested in like a side hustle at, you know, I want to start a podcast and this is going to be a side hustle for some like passive income. What's the one technical change or like, you know, decision you made that ended up resulting in the biggest gains as far as whether it was audience or money or whatever else? A video, video for sure. Yeah. Video is a thing. I think a lot of podcasters are kind of sometimes against video because they're like, well, isn't that just a YouTube show then? What is yeah. the difference between a video and a podcast and a show and then all these different things? And it's like, it doesn't matter. Call it whatever you want. Really, everything's the same. Yeah. Um, video, video and short clips. You know, even if you start simple, start with one camera, just one camera and just cut little pieces and post it on TikTok, post it everywhere. But video is so important. And I mean, you know, all we do on TikTok is just post like five clips per episode. And that has got us 50,000 followers. And we don't do anything more than that. It's just like a little offshoot. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to try to have the courage to take your advice and uh, post some videos sometime soon. I have to, people have to be willing to like see my, my space is half office and half kids playroom. So, yeah. <laughs> right. So that's like, a classic combo. Yeah. Uh, Gael, this, um, I'm going to let you go, but I just want to tell you that this uh, time that you spent with me means a lot to me. I know you were saying earlier about how you miss a little bit the um, that sense of mentorship and, and kind of being in a space where it's about learning. And if I could, as, as an elder, um, give you one, one note of advice, it would be to not um, don't lose that thirst and don't stop looking for, um, places to find that feeling. Cause it's not just in school that you get it. And you are one of those people for me in this moment, like this show has been for me all about over the course of a hundred and whatever, seven episodes, um, has been all about me learning in the open. And I learned so much from young people all the time. And uh, so anyway, if I had one one point of encouragement, it would just be, you know, don't stop looking for those mentors and don't ever feel like, um, you know, you're in an environment that's void of uh, of people that are special that are willing to share their experiences in a way that's going to be meaningful. And I think what you're doing is absolutely that for so many people. And if I'm if I'm honest, the reason I got so excited about your show when I found it was because I have a 12 year old, and I was like, thank goodness there is something by teens, for teens that I can share with my kids. And I know some of the content he's not ready for, you know, like I'll wait a little bit maybe, Yeah. but when he is ready, it's going to be so important to him. And so yeah. Yeah. I want to, I want to thank you for doing the work you're doing and thank you for the time joining the show. And uh, I think people are going to get a ton from it. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. I know I love this. It was so important. Thank you for the advice. I, I, I'll definitely remember that. Thank you. For more info about advertising with us, sponsoring the show, or if you have story ideas you want to share, find me on Twitter, at M.A. Lesser. The tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy. A guest in episode zero, alumni of two bomber nations, Ithaca and the Bronx, New York, and engineer of digital things and fresh beats, 
find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats. No such thing is produced by me, Mark Lesser, a learner like you, and our show notes can be found at nosuchthingpodcast.org.